Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, January the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a lot of good New Year's Day football occurred yesterday. We'll talk about some of the key prospects in action and we'll review Stephen Ross's meeting on the field with Steve Sarkeesian, as well as his interview up on MiamiDolphins.com. And I'm going to hand out some 2019 awards plus it's the first whiteboard of the 2020 season we are officially on to the new year the new decade and a brand new approach back into competitive football But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a declare tracker for all the college prospects up on the website right now and plenty of other good stuff for all your daily written Dolphins needs. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. We are frank in recording this podcast throughout the day on New Year's Day. First off, a big thank you and shout out to everybody that wished us a happy new year on that tweet of myself and Mrs. Wingfield and Kona Cat. Of course, it really does mean a lot to us. And I know I keep promising a Chan Gailey offensive film review. And it's coming, the Dragons are coming, but I thought I'd take the full day of college football in with players at literally every position of need for the Dolphins with an eye towards the 2020 draft. So we're talking about that in the third segment of the show. It's halftime right now as I talk to you guys of the Rose Bowl. We'll check in on Justin Herbert, Jonathan Taylor, Tyler Bayadash, the entire Oregon offensive line, plus the two big-time early games with Bama and Michigan and Auburn, Minnesota, Scott Yuma, row the boat, go Gophers, and then we'll finish it up with a Sugar Bowl review with those two stack teams in Georgia and Baylor. But first on the podcast today, we do our final inventory of the 2019 pleasantries with the team awards. We're going to go through this real quick. The MVP of the team has to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. They close the year scoring 25.4 points per game over the final nine games. They, of course, go five and four over that stretch. And the coach, Brian Flores, admits the turning point of the year for them going from a historically bad team to actually a competitive football team was going back to the quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was tremendous. Offensive player of the year was Devontae Parker. No question about that. Over 1,200 receiving yards, nine touchdowns, and ranking fifth in yards in the league. He was instant offense, a big play strike threat down the field all the time, a consistent, reliable guy at the sticks on third down. He took care of the best cornerback in the league in Stephon Gilmore and really was a guy that allowed the offense to function despite the fact that pass protection was bad half the time by just giving you a 50-50 ball type of receiver, and he won way more than he lost. The Defensive Player of the Year award for me goes to Devon Godshaw for his leadership and his production, and most of all, his consistency. You pretty much know what you're going to get from Devon every single game. An occasional pass rush, a lot of good run defense, and a good job disrupting the point, holding the point of attack, and making plays in the backfield. 
As far as most improved goes, that award goes to Mike Gesicki, the tight end. He started off kind of slow. I mentioned I saw some improvements in his game, both in contact balance, fighting through the reroute abilities of the defense, and just doing more in terms of physicality and getting into his routes quicker. I think he accomplished all of that, got stronger at all levels of the route, off the line of scrimmage, at the top of the stem, and at the catch point. Mike Gesicki looks like a good prospect going into 2020. The rookie of the year for me, I went with Preston Williams, even though he only played nine games. Before Devontae Parker got going, Preston Williams was starting to kind of get on that similar train and that similar trajectory. I think when he comes back, just as Xavier Howard told us back in the preseason in training camp, that Preston Williams will be a number one receiver in this league someday. And I think he showed us that throughout the course of the season when he was healthy. And in that Jets game, the two touchdown game, they could not cover him. Unfortunately, that's when he got hurt. But I think he's been the best rookie on the team this year in general. The best moment of the season for me was the Mountaineer shoot, the play in the Philadelphia Eagles game, the fake field goal that wound up being a touchdown. I think you cannot top that because of how creative and unique it was. The runner-up for that has to be the Mike Gesicki touchdown against the Patriots to beat them in Foxborough in Week 17. I want to give you guys one hot take to take into the offseason so we can look back and laugh or say, hey, Travis was pretty smart. And that one hot take is... The Dolphins will snap a playoff win drought, the 20-year drought or so. What is it, 18, 19 years at this point? The Dolphins will snap that drought under... Brian Flores as the head coach. That's your hot take. Those are your team awards. And again, on this podcast, we're going to review prospects in the third segment of the show and the Dolphins brass. We're at one of those games on Wednesday. We're going to talk about Alabama and Michigan. And they were there on the sideline talking to Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator of Alabama with Alabama officials down there as well. They were watching warmups. Chris Greer was kind of showing Stephen Ross some of the stuff. And we're thinking maybe a Tua Tungavailoa decision could be coming in regards to him declaring for the pros or going back to college. There have actually been a lot of people out there on Twitter saying he's leaning towards going back to school. They've been showing him on camera all week down in Orlando at Disney World. He was on a merry-go-round ride that was absolutely hilarious with his one crutch and kind of walking swaggy even though he's just limping, favoring that hip. Frankly, the idea to go back to school still makes no sense to me, but hey, as I said earlier, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. There are three good quarterbacks in that class if he does that with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and the Dolphins will have the ammo to trade up into that top three. There will be somebody that finishes in the top three that doesn't want a quarterback. Miami will have the opportunity to do that if all three of those guys declare. So for now, I would be good with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then going back into next year's draft, or there's the whole Jordan Love idea, which I like that too. So I'm not going to do what every Dolphins fan wants to do. Not going to flip out, man. I think it's all going to be okay. And in all seriousness, it is good to see them there probably recruiting Tua Tungavailoa, trying to get him to come out into the pros so they can draft him with that fifth pick. I mean, Tua was there at the game, that merry-go-round video I talked about, walking into the tunnel, going to the building, the stadium. It's all been about Tua Tungavailoa more than it has been the game. And with Ross, Greer, and Garfinkel there chatting it up with Steve Sarkeesian, you do have to imagine the full court press is on to see if they can get him to come out. That is pure speculation on my part. It just seems... And these guys talk about how they want to gather all the information before they make decisions. It would seem like that would be part of the process of gathering all the information. And while we're on the topic of Mr. Ross, I wanted to revisit this article that was published on Monday. We just haven't had time on the podcast with all the activity to get to it. But it's an interview, a question and answer with Stephen Ross post-2019 season. 
And the first question I want to discuss on the podcast was, have the last 12 months shaped your feelings about the approach taken this last offseason, the plan to start over from square one and rebuild the team in this manner? Ross's answer, there were a lot of narratives this year about our approach that were incorrect. We objectively looked at things and determined that we were a long way from being a championship caliber team and we needed to take a different approach. We've been bottom five in point differential in the NFL four of the last five years, including 30th last season in 2018. So the idea that we made decisions to try to be bad on purpose is ridiculous. We were a team with an aging roster and the most dead salary cap in the NFL, so we knew that we needed to build it from the ground up and that's what we drove and that's what drove the decisions. A year later, we are now well positioned to be a very good football team in the future. We have to keep working hard and we have to keep making good decisions. How at ease does that entire two-paragraph answer from Mr. Ross put you? I mean, that has to be word for word what you want to hear from the owner in terms of having this grand vision that's way bigger than just one idea or focusing on one particular draft pick or one particular player. He wants to build a system of success, a factory that just produces people that can procure the system, procure the program, and then grow and develop within it the way that Brian Flores did in New England. They want to have a consistent cost that spits out success because it's always well positioned to make the right moves on the open market in the draft class and continue to reassess themselves and their own operation and the market in the free agency period like the draft class all the stuff that goes into building a football team they just want to be sound and stable across the board and this was the only measure they could take because of past misgivings and past failures of Mike Tannenbaum and those before him they made it this way so the Dolphins had to take drastic measures to get out of it and this year did suck as a result, but now going into next season, the decks have been cleared and Miami can have this fresh restart and get some positivity and some success and maybe even some more wins coming sooner rather than later. Okay, we're going to come back and get to the first official 2020 unveiling of the whiteboard on the other side and some draft prospects on the third side of the podcast. But before we do that, heading into the new year, how does some extra spending cash sound to you? And if you're the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and predict it the right way, then my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, the NBA, and the start of college hoops, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. It's a lot more fun watching the game from your couch when you have something to gain on the game and my bookie wants to get your mind off everything else this holiday season and right back into the action on your television. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 and free money to play with. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. For that offer, just use promo code Locked On to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code Locked On to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer today. Visit MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Hopefully in a year the Dolphins are in the postseason as the hot take I told you in the first segment of this podcast 
promised they would do that sometime under the Brian Flores umbrella. Is that 2020? Maybe not, but I think it'll happen sometime in the near future. But what is here right now is the offseason, and we've got so much coming down the pipeline. And if you'll recall last year, I gave you guys detailed reports on each senior bowl practice. We had full-on top five, top 10 position-by-position draft boards up on LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm with you guys for schedule release for the lead-up to free agency with the film reviews and breakdowns, introductions into the new Miami Dolphins, mock off seasons, predicting all the moves. This can be the funnest part of the year as a football fan in a way, and I'm pumped to take things up another notch from last year's coverage. And we start that process today by returning to the whiteboard, and we have several things to cover here, so I'm going to turn to my left and first start off with the fact that Dolphins have roughly 120 to $130 million available in free agent spending cash. Now, I do assume some of that money is going to come back into the own team, into the Dolphins' own team, I should say, as they look maybe for new contracts for guys like Devon Godshaw. Maybe they try to work Albert Wilson's deal out to a longer-term deal with less money up front. They're going to probably put the own investments into their own roster first and use that money that way and take care of that with future budgeting for the quarterback position for guys that need extensions into the future. Because as they've told us, they're going to be smart in how they build this thing and always keep themselves in position to be able to make the moves necessary, whether it's replace injured players, sign the rookies to the rookie draft class, whatever it might be, they're going to have a plan in place. And the Dolphins are going to have a lot of draft picks to work with. These are tentative right now. I think this is where they are at the time being, but those things could change. And right now we have five picks within the first two rounds. Picks number five, 19, tentatively 25. It depends on what happens to Houston this weekend. Then pick 39. That's Miami's own second round organic pick. And then the 62nd pick from the Saints, which could, of course, move up or down based upon how they finish. And then there are a whole bunch of picks after that. And I have no idea how accurate these are. I got them from Tankathon and added one more draft pick, the 135th pick coming back to Miami from Arizona in the fifth round for the Kenyon Drake trade. So I have pick 70, pick 130, pick 135, and that 130 is a guess based upon Juwan James's compensa- or compensatory pick at the end of the fourth round. So pick 70, 130, 135, 145, 148, 150, 168, 178. 221. It's going to be a busy weekend. That's 14 picks. We'll see if they use all of them, but nonetheless, a very busy weekend. And with that, we jump back over to the roster. The Dolphins will try to improve with all that free agent spending cash and those draft picks they have in tow. I gave myself eight different distinctions, blue chip players plus starters, a key role player who factors into the rotation. Maybe he's a starter who gives you a good 50, 60% of the reps, an unknown category or slash special teams ace needs an upgrade at that spot, a futures deal, a cap casualty and a medical concern. A cap casualty just means they have a contract that I'm not super comfortable with at this point. I'll just tell you right now those three guys are Rashad Jones Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant just because of his medical concern which he is also on that list so is Preston Williams so is Kalen Balaj Jonathan Ledbetter on there because he missed the entire rookie season Rayquan McMillan's on my medical concern Xavier Howard is Bobby McCain is because he finished on IR and Cordrea Tankersley obviously will be on that list for some time now as far as how I have these guys stacked we'll go with the quarterbacks first I have Ryan Fitzpatrick as a plus starter if you've been listening to the podcast this week and beyond you know how I feel 
feel about that quarterback, at least for the next one or two, maybe three years tops. I have Josh Rosen in the needs upgrade category. You probably know that as well. At running back, everybody's needing an upgrade to me except for Miles Gaskin, who I'm unsure of but think could be a key role player as in a third back. Patrick Laird, to me, just does not have the explosive ability to make the big plays. Kalen Balage is a need replacement player to Lance Turner, and I feel the same way about Chandler Cox, although he's closer to unknown than he probably is the surefire off the roster. Receivers, Devontae Parker, your blue chipper in that position. We know what kind of year he had. I have Preston Williams and Albert Wilson as plus starters, but again, Preston has the medical tag. Albert Wilson has the financial concern. I have Alan Hearns and Jakeem Grant as key role players because I believe they can give you quite a bit in terms of being your third or fourth receiver on the roster. Grant has the money and medical concerns. Mac Hollins, unknown. I have Gary Jennings needing upgrade. And there are three futures contracts, Andy Jones, TJ Raming, and Terry Wright, all with futures contracts for this Miami Dolphins receiver core. Jumping over to the tight end position, I have Mike Gesicki as a plus starter at that spot. Thought he came on very strong in year number two. I still have Durham Smythe as an unknown, and he's probably the oldest guy on the unknown list in terms of him having two years experience here. I just don't quite know what I have with him as a pass catcher. I know he's a decent run blocker, but is that enough? We'll see. As far as futures contracts, Chris Myrick got one. He could be back to the practice squad or have a chance to make the roster in training camp. On the offensive line, I gave us one plus starter. I think Jesse Davis is good enough to be one of your five offensive linemen. I then have four guys who are unknowns. Michael Dieter, Adam Pankey, Keaton Sutherland, and Shaq Calhoun, although Calhoun I thought had a very, very challenging rookie year. Daniel Kilgore, Danny Isadora, Julian Davenport, Jamarcus Webb all go into the red category. I have Isadora with a medical tag as well. And there are two futures contracts on the offensive line, Chidi Okiki and Durval Neto. So you look at this offensive roster in total, clearly the offensive line needs almost a ground up rebuild, perhaps around Jesse Davis at right tackle. You have a couple of development guys waiting in the wings there. We'll get to the exclusive rights and restricted rights and unrestricted free agents here in just one second. You could hope for improvement from Shaq Calhoun and Michael Dieter, the two rookies. They got time this year. Maybe Danny Isadora works out, but what we saw the early going this season down the stretch, it's just difficult to picture any of these guys really working out as surefire plug-and-play starters. At tight end, you feel good about the top guy. Maybe you have to get more depth behind Gasicki. You obviously need to add another young quarterback to the quarterback's room. Running back room has to be remade, almost ground up as well, just like the offensive line. Again, probably part of why they brought in Chan Gailey and while the look on offensive line coaches that can get more out of the running game. At receiver, that's a great looking group with a blue chipper, two plus starters, and two guys who are key role players. And I think they'll bring back an exclusive rights free agent who also would be a key role player. And we'll get to him here in the exclusive rights free agents list. On the defensive side of the football, starting up front, I have Christian Wilkins as a blue chip cornerstone type of piece because I do believe that's what he will become. I know the rookie year did not pop off in terms of sack production and big box scores, but I do think the projection for Christian Wilkins is a 75% player that impacts the passing game and does more than enough against the run as well. I have Devon Godshaw as a plus starter in the green category. I have Zach Sealer and Jonathan Ledbetter as key role players. I still think Jonathan Ledbetter can be a big four tech. He can switch outside to the five tech over the left tackles, left shoulder or right tackles, right shoulder, I should say, either one of those. I think he has a chance to be a fit here. Same with Zach Sealer. The three red guys in the not or the needs upgrade category, Taco Charlton, Avery Moss, and Gerald Willis on that group. At linebacker, we don't have any plus starters or blue chippers for me in that group just because there are some scheme fits or scheme malfunctions in terms of getting guys in the right positions. I think 
think Raekwon McMillan is one of those guys that's a key role player. He can defend the B-gap to B-gap running downs and give you some work going forward into the flats and coverage that way. Just don't want him going backwards and covering tight ends down the seam and the like. I think Jerome Baker might be miscast in this defense. We've talked about that here and there throughout the course of the season, but he still gives you some good production in some certain categories, and he can do certain things in this defense you need. I just don't think he's a 100% snap taker in this scheme. In fact, no linebackers really are in this scheme for the most part. Andrew Van Ginkle, also a key role player, and I could see him having the fastest track to going up to the green plus starter territory because what we saw at the outside linebacker position does a lot of different things this defense works on, and he can give you that seven tech and wide nine tech rush when they want to go to their true base 3-4 with the outside linebackers and Van Ginkle filling one of those roles. I think Sam McGuavin's bordering on unknown slash key role player. I put him in the key role spot because I do think he can impact the passing game enough to have a role like that. I have Charles Harris and James Crawford as guys that could need upgrades. And then there are two futures contracts there with Terrell Hanks and a guy I've never heard of, Jake Carlock. Apparently he's on the Miami Dolphins now. I got to do some more research there. At the defensive backfield, Xavier Howard's still a blue chip player. Going to have a lot of stuff coming out about him here in the near future. We will not speculate about that, but he does have a medical tag because he's missed a lot of games. Bobby McCain still a plus starter in the slot for me, but has the medical tag. Eric Rowe, to me, also a plus starter. I've got Nick Needham, Rashad Jones, and Jamal Wiltz as key role players, and Rashad, we'll see about him with the medical and money tag. That's a tough trait to carry with you heading into an offseason. Makes way too much money, always hurt. I think Needham and Wiltz have depth roles on this cornerback roster next year, maybe even Needham as a starter. I think Tay Hayes and Ryan Lewis to me are still kind of unknown, especially Tay Hayes. So is Cordray Tankersley, but he also has the medical tag. And then Ken Webster, Stephen Parker to me on that red list. As far as who is set to hit free agency or be restricted, the Dolphins have six unrestricted free agents. They are Walt Aikens, the special teams ace. If they bring him back, it'll be on a contract that I believe reflects that. Mike Hole and Trevor Davis, to me, are guys on the red list. So is Clive Walford, and Aqib Tlaib is up there, even though he's not really up there. I think they'll say goodbye to all four of those guys. And then John Jenkins is the top unrestricted free agent on this roster. To me, he is a key role player on that defensive line, and I would sign him and bring him back. The restricted free agents, there are two guys on this list that are plus starters to me. Vince Beagle on that list. I think you got to go ahead and get him a contract and bring him back. Jason Sanders, the field goal kicker, a little bit of a down year this year, but I still believe in him. Samaji P. Ryan and Dion Lacey are unknowns to me at this point, so maybe they come back on cheap deals as well. Chase Allen, Ricardo Lewis on the red list for me on the restricted free agent list. Exclusive rights free agents. Isaiah Ford was the guy I hinted at at the wide receiver position. I would imagine he comes back and joins that six deep wide receiver crew. He proved his worth in the slot and the outside. I thought down the stretch of the season. Very physical guy, catches almost everything. He looked pretty good. And then we have a bunch of guys in the unknown category on the exclusive rights free agent list. Evan Bame, Calvin Munson, Montre Hardage, Jamal Davis, Lyndon Stevens, and Tabor Pepper, the long snapper on that list. As far as another key role player on that though, on the defensive side of the ball, Trent Harris is a key role guy I think that could be a good outside rusher for you. I'd bring him back. And then I have three guys in Evan Brown, Adrian Colbert, and Nate Brooks that are also on the red list. So first whiteboard update of the year right there. We are going to continue to add things to this list up on LockedOnDolphins.com and the podcast as far as people that could add from the outside, as far as free agents and draft picks. The season never sleeps when it comes to football and we'll have you covered. I'll have you covered here on Locked On Dolphins. Next, we're going to come back and talk about some of the prospects that played on New Year's Day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Awesome. 
from Tua Tungavailoa's official Twitter account just a few minutes ago here on January the 1st as I record this podcast just at the conclusion of the Rose Bowl and we'll talk about some of those prospects here in just one second. Tua Tungavailoa has a decision. He will announce it on January 6th. That is Monday. We'll have that covered for you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, LockedOnDolphins.com and of course on my Twitter timeline. To me, I would just think maybe this means he's leaning more towards going to the professional ranks because if he was returning to school, wouldn't he then just announce that today? We heard him talk about the financial decision and business decision that goes into this. Part of me thinks that Tua might be playing this whole thing up to try to get himself more money for the rehab process or for making social media campaigns or way to influence sponsors to come after him and pay him to be in commercials, to be in videos, to be part of a documentary series, whatever it might be. I think the name Tua Tungavailoa right now has a lot of capital you can put into it as far as off the field marketability and paychecks. And I think that might weigh into it. This of course is me just speculating, but I tend to think that he's doing all this as part of a show to get himself into the NFL and continue to build his brand. Of course, Again, speculation. We'll find out. Monday the 6th, Tua makes his decision. One last bit of news right here I want to get to before we talk about the college prospects that played on New Year's Day. Bill Callahan is out there as an available assistant coach the Dolphins could look at to fill the offensive line vacancy here in Miami. We talked about Mark Colombo and his connection to the staff with Chan Gailey in the past, but I think that Bill Callahan would be your most respected name on the market. So something to consider there as the Dolphins look to replace the offensive line coach as well as maybe a safeties coach in place of Tony Oden. There was plenty of players that played on New Year's Day in college football. We talked about the games. I did go back and get a look at a couple of other games I hadn't looked at earlier. And there's one player I want to talk about real quick, a linebacker, Evan Weaver out of California. We've talked about him throughout the course of the season a little bit. Six foot three, 235. I think he could get bigger. He's tall. He's long. He is not a plus athlete. He doesn't leave the field and he knows passing concepts and how to ID his run keys. And he always has good instincts and shoots the gap at the right time. He's slippery in the way he gets around blocks when he can, but when he has to, he really attacks those blocks as well. I saw him go down the seam with a tight end, but I don't don't think he could do that in college with those athletic tight ends. I think his athletic shortcomings are exploitable, and I don't think you can be seamless with him on the field. So I wonder if he'll be in the cards for Miami. Maybe he's a day three option in the middle linebacker position to be more of a run defender. In the Auburn game against Minnesota, Derek Brown, what else can you say about that guy? He just displaces offensive linemen. He draws double teams. He splits them. He wins against the run. He gets in there with the pass rush. He is just an absolute monster with absurd power, and he combines that with lateral movement, and that combination is absolutely lethal. We saw what Tyler Johnson did in that same game, going for over 200 receiving yards, including an Odell Beckham type of catch along the back of the end zone, getting the toe tap down. I think he's a fantastic day two prospect, but I don't think Miami's going to be in the market for receivers until day three at the earliest. Other player in that game that I really wanted to get a look at was Antoine Winfield, and the Auburn offense mostly stayed away from Winfield in that game with good discourse for doing that, or for a good reason for doing that, because he does have seven interceptions this year, but he did find a way to make an impact in the the box as a run defender and a key blitz where he ran over the running back en route to the quarterback and stopped Bo Nix, who is very athletic and agile and can get out on the outside of the pocket on the edges and make plays with his legs. He stopped that play on third down, forced a punt, and the Gophers won because of that play basically going away. In the Michigan-Alabama game, Ben Bredersen is going to be a name you hear a lot, the left guard. I don't think he has a lower body thickness to help him anchor. He's easily moved in the run game with a two-gap punch that can stack and shed him, not 
not a fan of his game. I think Alex Leatherwood could be an option for the Dolphins at the end of the first round. Got very sweet feet, super athletic, a knee bender with a wide base, a real cerebral approach to his game. He always finds games, whether it's stunts, twists, or loopers coming off the edge and attacks his assignment accordingly. He can hit two blocks in one play, no problem. Raekwon Davis on the other side of the ball. Oh my goodness, six foot seven, 315 pounds pounds. He's powerful, a very long over-the-nose tackle type of player. Two-tech can probably even play four-tech. He had a play where he got in, split a double team, and then chased Shea Patterson down and stayed step-for-step step with the quarterback. Just ridiculous athlete there. Josh Uche, burst and bend from the wide alignment, possibly a day-three guy from Miami. We'll see him at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, but Josh Uche could be a seven-tech or a nine-tech in this defense when they go that direction. That's why he's day-three. Xavier McKinney has all the range you could want in the world, and the ball skills. He's an option probably in the first part of second round, maybe the back end of the first round. Kind of the same uh, territory for Anthony Jennings, the Alabama outside linebacker. I do like his game quite a lot. He put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and gets in the passing lanes in the short hook and curl zones as well. There was some news that came out about Oklahoma State receiver Tylen Wallace. He tore his ACL back in October. He will go back to school and finish out his career there with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. He could be an Albert Wilson replacement next year if he gets back to full health and the Dolphins move on from Wilson. Keep an eye on him. Patrick Sertan Jr., I know he's only a sophomore, but my goodness, that Alabama cornerback is long, and of course, the son of former Dolphins great Pat Sertan. He's from Plantation. Bring that kid home next season when he's eligible. Tyler Bayadash got a good look at him in that Rose Bowl game. He's an All-American, super proficient, getting to the second level, not really any wasted movement in his steps, and he really squares up his targets at that second level, but I have many concerns too because he's not great mirroring in pass protection doesn't always anchor in pass pro either. He's going to get beat with quickness across his face and length could be an issue. The Oregon edge, the freshman Kayvon Thibodeau, who's one of the most ridiculous prospects I've ever seen, beat him up over the nose with a good pass rush going across his face. He had a generally rough day, I thought, in the game in total. He short hopped a snap that ruined the timing of a third down play. He got beat on that play by uh, Kayvon Thibodeau that led to an interception and he was beat for a tackle for loss early in the third quarter. And then, of course, there's the quarterback Justin Herbert, who only threw for, I think, 106 yards. He did have a bunch of long runs, including three touchdown runs in the game. They were design plays where he kept it off the edge and just ran straight, and he can run fast. There's nobody doubting that, and I put a, a video up on my timeline saying that he's an athlete, but not an imaginative runner, and then, of course, I got backlash because college football fans like to tell me the results of the games, not the actual scouting that goes into what projects to the next level, and Justin Herbert had great rushing stats, but again, a dead leg guy who doesn't have good lateral agility and doesn't really have a plan when he goes to scramble. So I don't think there's much there for the modern day game. To me, Justin Herbert is the perfect quarterback for like 1998. He's big, he's tall, he's strong, has the massive cannon of an arm. Enough of an athlete to get on the edge on design runs. Not going to do a lot, like I mentioned, as far as creating his own plays. He's going to look really good when he's protected and has a clean pocket and can survey the field. Not a quick processor. processor. All these things have been the same for his entire college career. And that's why I never understood folks that say they liked him coming into the year and now they don't because this is who he's always been. So that puzzles me a little bit. Thought Jonathan Taylor's fumble issues continued into this game. He had another big one in the Rose Bowl, but he is such a determined physical runner. Lots of tread or lots of tread gone off those tires, but I do think that he's the kind of guy you could draft maybe in the second round. I don't want him in the first. I think Dobbins and ETN are better and possible 
first round running backs at that position, but he's the kind of guy you could draft, give him 20 carries a game for four years and just chew him up and spit him out on the other end. That would be my approach there. I'm going to go ahead and end the podcast right here. We can talk about Bravion Roy, the Baylor defensive line, Andrew Thomas and the Georgia offensive line with Jake Fromm in that game on tomorrow's show. We'll go ahead and sign off right here though on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And we'll be back on Friday with the mailbag edition. We're going to talk more about Chan Gailey's offense and some other categories to finish up the week. And then on Sunday, we've officially begun offseason talks and we'll get into some senior bowl rosters and some college scouting. Tons of fun stuff here to come on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for now, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.